This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, brought to you by Gold Rock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, and my name is Darren Rockman. I'm a partner with Gold Rock Capital, the 21-year-old multifamily office, servicing high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And today, from London, George Norman. Hi, George. Hi, Darren. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, thank you for joining. It's a, it's a, it's a really great to have you here. George is a founding partner at Beaufort Capital Management and uh, is coming to us from London, as I said. Um, we'll get a little bit about uh, Beaufort uh, soon. But to start off, George, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you, you got to where you are now. Sure. So um, I, I've been working with the family for the, a bit over a decade now, particularly working with my father. Uh, and prior to that, I actually worked in the sort of uh, nexus of technology and politics having set up a tech startup before it was called to be an entrepreneur and set up tech startups, um, which seems to be the kind of uh, the, the thing to do at the moment. You, you, you were ahead of your time. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, it, was, it was an interesting experience. And uh, then I started to work with the family. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, so you are actually the third generation uh, of your family. Um, and I'd be really interested to hear a little bit about um you know, your grandfather and his business and then how that's sort of moved through the generations to your dad and, and, and now also to you. Sure, sure. So my my great-grandfather actually founded a business in the early 1900s, uh, which was a women's fashion business called Wallace, um, which is a, a, during the 1900s was a, a well-known high street store in the UK. Uh, and more latterly got bought by Philip Green's Arcadia sort of top shop empire. And then that most recently got traded on to, to Boohoo. Though I see in the press, Boohoo's now looking like it might get bored in and of itself. So uh, <laughs> interesting retail. Keep, keep changing hands. <laughs> so, so my grandfather then inherited that business in the late 1940s and bought some other retail businesses in the US and the UK. Uh, and separate to those retail businesses, uh, which continued for many decades until they were sold in the 80s. Um, my father uh, has separately had his own career in real estate investment and development for the last 50 years. So he's built millions of square feet of, of property across the UK, whether that's central London office, regional office, like industrial, logistics, business parks, mass market residential, super high-end residential, affordable housing, all across England, Scotland, and Wales. So the UK is really our our home market. Uh, we we don't dabble in, in too many other places. Right. Okay. So a not unfamiliar transition from starting the family starting in the retail market um, and then moving from that into uh, real estate. Um, and then in, in your case, actually real estate construction and then moving from there into actually real estate lending, which is uh, where, where, where both it is. And, and uh, maybe it's worth spending a few minutes telling us what it is that you, d- you do and, and a little bit about the transition from a construction family to a lending family. Sure, sure. So, you know, just to, to expand a little bit further, you know, I, I 
uh, fond memories at age sort of four or five years old, following my father around on building sites with a hard hat on and uh, embarrassing did, photos. Did, did they Come make on. hard hats for four or five year olds? No, no, the big beliefs, but uh, you know, we made do, we made do. So um, you know, that th- those are the fond memories and, and stuffing envelopes and being always around the office and and every family conversation being centered on business and commerce and real estate. And unfortunately, no Friday night dinner would go without uh, you know, some passionate debate about a transaction or something. So uh I was sort of in between in between the chicken soup and the roast chicken. <laughs> exactly exactly so I, i've always been sort of around that 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 business world and uh we set both at capital up um i'll, I'll, I'll come back to that because i know you have some follow-up questions in, in relation to that but but in the in, in the sort of post gfc period we decided as a family that we didn't want to set up again another large real estate development business in the uk that's what we had done over many decades and had um, created and then sold different real estate um, platforms and businesses uh, in the UK and across different parts of the country and different asset classes. And after the GFC, we preferred to actually take advantage of the liquidity crisis that existed throughout the UK and saw that as a great opportunity for us to move down the risk curve, but apply our experience and expertise first and foremost as a developer and as property people, to the lending market and to provide finance to developers who are best in class in their niches. So whether that's student accommodation, care homes, mass market residential, pre-let hotels, light industrial logistics, the sorts of asset classes that we're very familiar with uh, in, in our home market, but provide them with, with, with debt and, and co-investment equity. On a very selective basis. That, that, that's a quite a, a big change for a family that, as you say, you know, for fifty years was dealing in construction. How, how? What did that require of you in terms of changing your mindset and maybe changing of, of infrastructure and practices? Well, well, probably one of the biggest things was trying to let go a little bit. Right. So, you know, understanding that we weren't the developer ourselves anymore and, and needing to let go of the reins and trust that other people who we knew had the experience, these were generally people in our network, right? Um, were, were capable and able of running the development ourselves and maybe they knew better than we did and we didn't have all the answers. So that was that that was one interesting aspect. And the right. other was perhaps uh perhaps being taking a, a little bit more risk in terms of where we would go or what type of asset class we would fund, um, but coming down the capital stack. Right, so, having, so, having, so not, not being the developer, not taking that first risk yourself, you could afford to take riskier assets because you had some protection because there was another developer taking the equity risk. Ahead. Yeah, whether they were riskier assets or not, I'm not sure, but okay. uh, I think they, they probably weren't, but perhaps they were to us because they were less in our, our sort of absolute sort of uh, circumference of equity. Uh, where we were extremely comfortable. Um, but part of the, the purpose was diversification. So right. again, the genesis of both it being reduced risk, this kind of absolute obsession with downside protection and preservation of capital, which has become you know, very important, I think, to most investors and family offices around the world. Right. But certainly, you know, we've more and more had that kind of ingrained thinking, um, which which has naturally 
made us more of a debt investor than it has as an equity investor. Right. And it's interesting that, you know, almost every generation in your family has done something different. Um, you know, starting with retail and then your dad in, in construction. And then, you know, now it's you and your dad, but you know, your generation uh, really being a lender. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's true. And you know, families evolve. Um, we've been uh, perhaps quite um, um, forthright in staying in the UK and staying in, right. in sort of the general commerce of trading businesses. So we still have exposure to healthcare businesses and other operational businesses in the UK. Mm-hmm. And a common theme being real estate, whether that's real estate with active operating businesses within them or developments for sale. But a lot of our developments even now have active trading businesses within them. Uh, that we okay. So those you basic know, I, building blocks are still kind of there. Right. So, so uh, I want to pick up on that. Um, you know, there, there is a common theme, a couple of common themes there. So you know, uh, the UK being one of them and, and sort of an operating uh, view of the world. What if I sort of asked you about the values that have guided the family from generation, can you see some common values that have, that have happened um, as you've moved from one generation to another and, and sort of one business to another? Yeah, I think there are a few. I think there are a few. Um, one, one would be a kind of um, a passion. So whatever we do, um, we, we tend to do it uh, as a family with, with you know, excellence at its heart. So we don't t- tend to kind of talk about things or do them by half measures. And I think that's been carried through you know, different generations. And I think that that um, aligns very closely with reputation. So right. our reputation is really, really critical. And that, that old adage that, you know, it can take a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy. So that's something that's always been, you know, in many, many conversations, been at the heart of it. Can we even consider doing X or Y or Z? How would that impact our reputation? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, balancing that off against creativity and innovation. So throughout the, the different years that we've been in the markets we've been in in the UK, so whether that be in retail, in healthcare or in real estate, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't always call it right, but we try to stay as much in tune with and ahead of the market as we can. Uh, and pushing ourselves is what we do, okay. and and again, I think that 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 comes from the, the the sort of giants of individuals that have gone well before me that I get to kind of follow in their in their footsteps. Fantastic. And and, and uh, apropos passion, I'll, I'll just note for the record that uh, this conversation is being recorded uh, on a late on a Sunday, and uh, George is in the office despite the fact that he's in London, <laughs> and nobody else in London is in the office over Sunday. Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess that's probably one of our other our other values um, as a family. Like most family businesses, you know, we we, we like to kind of work hard and, and uh, enjoy it. We don't really regard it as such. Fantastic. Okay, so let's look, look a little bit more um, at what you're doing at Beaufort and, you know, the niche that you've carved out for yourselves. So in the UK market, what we provide is as an alternative lender, an alternative to the bank's we provide development finance. And we do that now across the entire capital spectrum. So we're one of the only lenders in the market that can provide traditional senior debt, like a a clearing bank, uh, an HSBC or a Barclays or a Lloyds might provide, or in in Israel, a Lumi or a Mizrahi might provide. Mm -hmm. And stretch senior debt as well. So that might take you to 65 or 70% loan to value. That leaves us with a, a high margin of safety so we have a sort of 35% chance 
generally cushion in, as a fall in value before our, our principal starts to get eroded in any way. And that's really important to us as, as a family. And uh, nice. one of the reasons why we transitioned to, to debt. Um, and we also continue to invest, as we have done for many years successfully, in mezzanine and co-investing in the equity on occasion. And we only do that where we think the, the sort of upside dynamic is really, really exciting and the downside risk is very well protected. So if something's pre-sold, it's pre-let, for us it kind of fits squarely in the no-brainer category. And unfortunately, those are the sorts of deals that don't normally require you know, much equity investment. There's normally a few people wanting to do them. So we have to fight quite hard to get in there, but we're not looking to write big checks when we're in that space. It's, it's a small check to add some additional alpha alongside the core product of debt. So we're generally in the debt piece at the same time as having a small, small part of equity upside okay. exposure. And, so that, and, that, that works really well. Right. Okay, fantastic. And, and what are the types of things that you look for specifically in a, in a borrower? And, and there's a sort of added to that, how has your family's experience as a developer impacted and influenced what it is that you yeah, good question. Good question. So, so what we look for in a borrower, one one is extensive track record. So, just as you know, you if you're looking at different investments, would would look at the manager and the manager's track record. Mm-hmm. We're most interested in understanding those multi-year different vintages and times throughout the market. How have you performed? How have you behaved? How have you behaved with your lenders? Um, you know, markets go through difficult times, but but how how have you actually have you been a good actor? So that's something that's important to us. Um, we look for people who are best in class in their market. Now, many lenders focus purely on the residential market and in the southeast of England. We focus across the whole of the UK. So we do a lot in Scotland. We do a lot in the north and midlands of England uh, and right down into the south and southwest. So we're, we're really uh, across the country, spend a lot of my time on trains and planes and, 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 the, and in the you car. You've actually been to Wales. It exists. <laughs> <laughs> I go there a lot. Um, right. I'm going to be in the world in the next two weeks. Um, and then my diary takes us between sort of Edinburgh and Glasgow and Leeds and Sheffield and Coventry all, all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what we look for in a borrower is somebody who's best in class in their location. So if we take Bristol as an example, um, for those that, that, that are familiar with the Bristol market, in each asset class that we fund, there'll likely only be three or four really good developers that operate in that asset class. Right. So we want to get to know those individuals really well. We spend a lot of time getting to know them and getting comfortable with them and building that relationship, which is a different way of originating business as to how most people in the, in the debt market in the UK uh, do it. Most of them do it through intermediaries and brokers, right. which, is, which is not and and that's sort of number one, building that relationship, because then we get to understand over time, because we're not investing with you straight away, we're not we're not lending to you straight away, how you are, how your different deals have performed. And we like to talk about your deals and understand your whole business. So unlike just looking at the deal in front of us and saying, yeah, well, we like that transaction, let's lend on it. There might be something else going on in your business that we just wouldn't know about uh, mm-hmm. today that takes time to figure out. So we like to try to understand every every single deal you're doing, every deal you've got in the pipeline and all of your historic ones. And really almost as if we're lending to you corporately, although we're not. Right. Um, it's that kind of banking relationship we're looking for with a real deep understanding of your business. Because something can happen completely stage left 
that uh, ends up impacting on us in some in some way. And, and and is that is that being the result of your experience that you've had as a lender, or experience that you've had as as a builder, as a family that's that's done a lot of construction? Both, both, and and perhaps a, you know a good amount of life experience over the the decades and generations in the family that stuff happens, mm-hmm. things go wrong. And you want to be in bed with the right partners. That's right. really important. Right. And again, coming back to those those values and, and around integrity and reputation, etc. We want to be surrounded by people that are that are going to be good actors, even if right. times become difficult. Right. Um, so that's 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 one major factor for us. But there are so many factors that go into our evaluation about whether we want to do a transaction or not. You know, our business is a quality obsessed business rather than a volume business. We're not here to do 100 or 200 deals a year as some lenders are geared up to do. We mm-hmm. might do 10, but we'll probably look at a thousand transactions a year. So right. it's a it's a tiny conversion rate. And for us, we just, you know, say no. Much easier for us to say no. And, and that old Pareto principle, 80-20, you know, if we can try to keep the difficult transactions as few and far between as possible that we're lending on so that we have as little active asset management going on in relation to those challenging um, loans on anyone's book. Uh, that that only you know, serves to better the business. Yeah. So some lenders who, who do what you guys do um, actually look for the difficult transactions because that's where they see an opportunity to you know, put in you know, eye-watering rates of interest and you know, yeah. great terms and you know, great covenants. Yeah, but that sort of loan-to-own stuff, that, that again, reputationally then becomes a problem. So that's that's where I come back to that kind of value. It's, right. it's, not, it's not where we want to be. We don't want to be owning your asset. We want to have good relations with our, with, our, with our sponsor partners and be here for the next 20, 30, 40 years in this market. Right. So, you know, that, that, that means that so that's, that's a more challenging view to take. Right. Um, but we certainly like complexity. You know, we love we love complexity in in the transactions, and we think that you know our USP is how we price risk and and how we look at risk and manage risk. So the risk adjusted returns we think we create are exceptional. That's what excites us, rather than and you know anyone can lend money, anyone can get the standard rate of return. The challenge is getting it back safely and structuring it in a way that it's going to be safe. Right? How would you give us an example of maybe how you would look at risk differently? to you know another lender or, or a high street bank yeah so 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 probably a, 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 num- a, num- a number of examples i think one thing that sets us apart is we have quite a contrarian viewpoint perhaps that's because of where we come from right but uh, we, we we tend to like to you know think differently to to other lenders so an example would be in 2012 the uk government brought out legislation which was called permitted development rights and permitted yeah. development rights in the uk meant that any building that was an office building in certain locations in the UK could automatically be converted to residential without planning permission. And so there was a massive boom in construction in that market. Many, many developments were constructed in that market, residential apartments. But the issue we had is the apartments were generally very small micro flats that would be less than, you know, less than 35 square meters or 30 square meters, even in some occasions smaller than that. So, yeah. so very small living. They would have, they'd be long and dark because they were office buildings with generally windows on one side. And so they'd be long and narrow, no amenities, um, and generally not be in the sorts of areas that are particularly desirable. So they might be next adjacent to a motorway or things like that. And they'd have a minimal, from a fire regulation perspective, a minimal protections built in. 
And we were always concerned, what would that mean for mortgage availability? What would that mean for the secondary market that would then impact the primary market if you can't then resell? And ultimately, who are your buyers? It's great in a boom market, but we don't think in boom market mentality. So as, as a consequence, you know, there was a lot of money, a lot of credit flowing to those things. Pre-Grenfell, Grenfell was a, a major tragedy in the UK where yes. uh, in London, you know, poor fire. And prior to that, there was a huge amount of credit lending in that market. And that got tightened up, uh, one, as a result of Grenfell and, and other matters um, that, that, that tightened up the building regulations in respect to that. But it didn't fit with our values. And we were always concerned that actually on a risk adjusted basis yes we didn't we didn't feel comfortable with the risk right we didn't do one one deal in it we had many many opportunities but we just had a house view and the house view was no um and we worked maybe we missed out but we were we were okay with that we, we did fine and and we actually saw an opportunity emerge from that and and the opportunity we called then um, which you know maybe uh, time has 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 proven out was that regional offices were an interesting space to be because the pendulum swings right so right. all of the resi all of the office buildings that Just were in these regions were completely converted and no one was building new build new build office so we saw that was an opportunity that right. we wanted to lend on uh, in those Very markets cool. okay um you know, the, you, you talk about the pendulum swinging and, and economic circumstances change. And obviously one of the things that is foremost, I think in every investor's minds right now um, is the impact of inflation and uh, what that does to uh, valuations. You talked about LTVs before and, and what it does to uh, investments. How do you think about that um, as you're deploying capital? And what do you think the impacts are gonna be on the, the UK property market and your corner of it? So it's, it's a big question. It's the question at the moment. Um, and, and inflation and interest rates are something that we sort of uh, consider every, every day at the moment and all of, on all of our transactions and, and the, the interplay between them and where we think things might go. Being a development lender, uh, inflation's particularly uh, acute as an issue to focus on because we're, we're dealing in construction materials, raw materials. Wood, so metal, windows. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, if suddenly timber goes up by 30 percent, that's a that's a problem for us. And we're, we're seeing well, it. You've you got, know. In the pictures behind you, you've got some trees you could probably cut down. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite. Well, it, what we see, the data that we get in is, 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 is quite early compared to what often gets reported in the media, because right. we're seeing it week by week. We're talking to our developer partners all the time. So we're mm -hmm. actually able to see the shifts in 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 steel or in timber or in, in even fuel. Um, because it's bearing out week, week in, week out on all of the different construction sites we're funding. So you know, what we do now is we, we've built in significant construction contingencies beyond what we previously had. We've re-benchmarked costings. Um, we're always very mindful of vintages. So we don't look to deploy all of our money in one year. That would, for us, be kind of a foolish thing to do. So we like to be diversified by asset class, by location, but also by vintage, so that we're we're not ever having to take really long-term bets. And that's something else that's very important, whether you're dealing with inflation or interest rates or you know, asset prices, which I'll, I'll come on to mention in a moment, by not being uh, uh, you know, fully invested at in, in any one point in the cycle, but also having different maturity dates mm -hmm. so that you've got exposures. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's very useful for us. 
So the, the interplay between inflation and interest rates, you know, the MPC is already, um, the Bank of England here has already started to, to move interest rates up. And mm -hmm. the, the, if you look at the Monetary Policy Committee, that's looking like that's going to continue uh, with interest rate rises. Current forecasts are suggesting by the end of this year, somewhere around one and a half percent, maybe higher than that. So we build in a floor to all of our facilities to say, well, well, let's let's start off at one. So our pricing starts off at one, and it has done for the last nine months whilst we've had that concern about where. And are you pushing that floor up as a result of the changing circumstance? Yeah, we are. We are, um, and and we also then sensitise all of our deals. So right. we sensitise our deals to say, what does it look like at one and a half? What does it look like at two? What does it look like at two and a half? If you're my father, you'll say, what does it look like at four or five? Because he's <laughs> well, he's been around. He was around when there was a four and five, and ten and twelve. Yeah, and exactly, and ten and twelve. So when we start in the ten it's and twelve, always good to have some greyhound, uh, some grey hair around. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When when we start to talk about the tens or twelves, we say, well, then we can't do any deal if we if we look at that on that basis. So so we we kind of keep it in the sort of one to three four sensitivity range. Um, and again, because our lookouts are not that long, we don't do five year deals. You know, generally, it's a two year deal, eighteen months, maybe three years on the outside. Right. Your sensitivity uh, is, is is not as high. It's not as high. It's more limited. Um, and, and how do you think? How do you think about? Sorry, how do you think about valuation? Because of course, one of the things that's happened over time is as interest rates have fallen, uh, values of assets have gone up, and now we're in the opposite dynamic. So, uh, you know, in, at least in theory, you could see the value of those assets which which are letting themselves go down. And, and Darren, this is the basic interview question I ask any candidate that we look at employing. <laughs> I'm so pleased you asked me it. Um, so, so you know, clearly, as the risk-free rate moves up, um, yields should 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 move out. That that that's how economic theory works, right? And um, that's what we believe. So, when we sensitise for interest rates, we're not just looking at our interest burn; we're moving yields out at the same time because that right. that for us is just a practice. I don't know if other people are doing that. I don't know if that's that's how they think about life. Uh, but that does become a tipping point. Um, but I think we're 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 away from that at the moment. So so you know absolutely okay. we do expect you know primary and secondary yields to be moving out uh, as interest rates rise, and we're factoring that fully at the moment. Okay. And that's that's a difficult thing to be you know when you're a lender, how that impacts your valuations. How do you set your covenants? How do you set them safely? But still, and how, and how much are you willing to lend? Yeah, and correct. What are your competitors willing to do? Correct. Well, we try not to look too much about that. You know, right. let, we let other people drink the Kool-Aid. Right. Okay. Very cool. So I, I want to ask one last question, um, sort of circling back uh, to the family. Um, you're third generation in the family, and, and each generation has its own unique opportunities and also unique challenges. What do you see as a sort of third gen, um, or maybe fourth gen, I don't know how you count, uh, in the family? What, what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that, that you all see? So I think that the global nature of the world today is uniquely different to when my father and, you know, grandparents, et cetera, were, were building their businesses um, in their, you know, in, 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 their, in their younger years. And uh, that, that global landscape is a great opportunity, but it brings with it, you know, real challenges. And the global connectivity of the world, we were just discussing interest rates and inflation. You, know, you had times when the UK was in one place, but other parts of the world would be in something very different. Yeah. Um, that, that the connectivity of financial markets now does 
prove, you know, pose a great challenge as an investor, but, but great opportunity as well. So I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges and opportunities. It's a double-edged sword, as, as ever these things mm-hmm. are. And, and then that directly links to technology. So how technology is disrupting all of our lives uh, in incredible ways and terrifying ways in equal measure um, uh, is, is going to be the, the theme, I think, for, for certainly my generation uh, as investors. Nice. Well, that's great. Well, uh, George, Norman, uh, thank you so much for being on Definitely Uncertain. You. Like, you know, it's, been a, it's been a great conversation um, and uh, you know, best of luck with both of them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you okay. for having me. And um, best, of, uh, best of luck for the rest of the week. And thank you for joining us on a Sunday. Um, and for all of you listening, thank you for tuning in and uh, look forward to uh, more episodes coming your way. Um, if you have ideas for episodes, you can always send us an email to podcast at goldrockcap.com. Uh, thank you to our team, Andrea Herman, uh, Mayor Charlotte and Ido Schlesinger. And uh, see everybody. And goodbye.